Hey, and thanks for taking the time to listen with us here at Gospel Way as we seek to find rest in Christ. Please know that this is supplemental and does not replace your local church or the pastor that God has given to shepherd your soul. But it is our prayer that God will use these resources to bless you and point you to Jesus. Number 12, we have finished up the Hall of Saints, Hall of Faith, Hall of Fame, however you want to term it. We finished up looking at the characters that the author points out throughout chapter number 11. And we get down, which we looked at some of this last week, we get down to verse number 40 in chapter number 11, and the author explains his purpose in showing us all these people. He said that God did something for them, and they were able to live life. They were able to accomplish things by faith. And they didn't even see the promise happen. So they didn't see Christ. They didn't see the coming of Jesus. But the mere faith and the promise of God led them through. It gave them ability to endure. And as we'll begin to look at tonight, what the author does is he starts to make an analogy that the Christian life, really life in general, is a race to be ran. Obviously, for some, it may be a 100-yard dash, but for most of us, it's more of a marathon. It's it's a slow race. It's, it's It's not a 5K that you can finish in one day. Or if I tried a 5K, it would probably take me three days. But it's not something that you can finish in a day, but it's something that you go throughout the course of a life. And the issue with that is when you're dealing with something that long, it can be difficult at times to continue. It can be difficult at times to persevere, to endure. Obviously, in some sense, we do have to endure through life. But specifically to what the author was pointing at, there is an aspect that we can continue to hold on to this faith, just like all of these people that we had just looked at did. And we can hold on to this faith in an even better way than they held on to it. So in verse number 1, we'll read down from verse number 1 to verse number 3. And the author is going to give us the way that we do this. He starts out and says, Wherefore... Seeing we also are compassed about so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. So the author is giving us the way that we endure. He's giving us the way that we continue, the way that we persevere. And he starts out this text, and I know we mentioned this this morning, but this text is no different. There was no break in thought from chapter number 12, 11 into chapter number 12. 
And that's the reason that we see that term there or wherefore in the beginning of that that section of scripture. He is changing his mode of thought in a sense. But what he's doing is he's calling us back to all of the people that we just looked at. He says, wherefore, so because we see this great cloud of witnesses, and this great cloud of witnesses are all these people that went before us. So he's pointing us back to person after person. And we could go back through and we could we could summarize these people's lives. But we have Adam and Abel and Noah and Enoch and Abraham and Moses and Rahab and Joshua, Samson, David. We have all these people that, for better or for worse, they were able to continue and able to persevere and able to finish their race. And we can take some comfort even in some of these, knowing that some of these men, some of these women, they finished their race, but not even under the best circumstances. One specifically that that is is a big red flag that's waving for us to look at in the text is Samson. If we think about Samson, Samson was in our minds a huge failure. He 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 really had nothing going for him. It was failure after failure after failure after failure that even led into him being taken prisoner and ultimately led to his death. But the author says that he persevered, that he continued, that he finished the race that was set before him. Even with his race ending in death, he did what he did. The scripture tells us, if we even go back to the book of Judges, the scripture tells us that by faith he knocked the walls over. And that in his death he killed more than in his whole entire life. So we can't look at these people... And we can't concentrate solely on the great things that they accomplished. But what the author is calling us to do is to look at the fact that they continued. They never lost faith. Even though they may have failed, they never lost faith in the promise. He says, because we have this great cloud of witnesses, because we have all of these people who have finished the race before us, That by itself is a reason and a call for us to do some things. So we see two things that the author gives us. One, he gives us some instruction in verse number number one. And then he gives us another premier example in verse number two and verse number three. So the instruction that we see is number one, to look at the cloud of witnesses. So we're called to... Think about and look at these people and see that it was the faith in the promise that they never actually saw that enabled them to endure. It enabled them to continue. It enabled them to keep going. And if we ever get to a point that we feel like we have failed beyond recognition, we can look to people like Samson who kept the faith even among failure. When we get to places in our life where we come up against things that are seemingly impossible to continue through, we can look back to the children of Israel, how they by faith walked through the Red Sea. We're given these people who continued in the face of things, even in the face of some self-inflicted things, 
So the author calls us to look back at this cloud of witnesses that have gone before us. And then he says to let us lay aside every weight. There's some debate on whether the weight and the sin go together, but seemingly, according to the text, the author splits the two ideas. That the weight is different than the sin. Not that it can't be sin also, but it seems that the weight is different than the sin. And Paul kind of gives this illusion when he's speaking to Timothy. In the book of 1 Timothy, Paul tells him that a soldier who is doing the work of his master does not entangle himself in the things of the world. And that seems to be what's happening here because he's calling us to lay aside every weight. Now, a couple of things that we need to make sure that we're understanding when the author says this is we may carry weights and we may have sins that beset us, but that doesn't negate the fact that we're still running the race. We can't look at ourselves, or for that matter, we can't look at others and say, well, they are so weighted down, or they are so beset by this sin that there's no way that they're running the same race that I am. And that's the tendency that we will probably continue to fight until the day that we die, is to look at other people who are running the same race as us, but are wearing a different brand of tennis shoe or carrying a backpack or whatever other analogy that you want to use. But our our tendency, and we see this all through scripture, is to look at other people and to put some down and to raise some up. And that's, is that not what James was even talking about this morning? We have a tendency to grab a hold of people that we think are doing things well, and we may even emulate those people, or we may get up and run beside those people, and we may look at other people and say, well, y'all aren't doing this right. Y'all aren't running this race right. Look at what you're wearing, or look at the kind of shoes that you have on. But none of that negates the fact that somebody may be running the same race as we are, in a little bit of a different way. And we're going to get to what distinguishes the race runners in a minute, which if you read the same text I did, you probably know where I'm going with that. But he tells us to lay aside every weight. So he says there are going to be things in this life, and what I want you to do is if there are things that are weighing you down in terms of your faith, not your faithfulness, but in terms of your faith, if there are things that are pulling you back. And remember, the author is specifically speaking to Jewish people who are wanting and having the tendency to pull back from Christ and to go back to the way that they'd always done things. So he's saying if there's anything that is pulling you back, any weight that is pulling you back, calling you to go a different way, calling you to do it a different way, calling you to to follow a different way, lay those things aside because those things are going to weigh you down. And then he moves, seemingly shifts gears, and speaks of the sin that does so easily beset us. When I was studying for this, one of the things that I found, I don't know if comforting is the right word or not, but the author includes 
himself in that statement. He calls them to lay aside every weight, but he also calls them to lay aside the sin. He says, which so easily besets us. He includes himself in that group, understanding that there are also sins that will beset us. The word beset that's used here, it means to trip up. It means to, to lay, it even, even gives the idea that it can lay in wait to trap you. So he's saying anything that can trip you up in your race, to lay those things aside as well. And again, and, and I'm, I'm not trying to use him as an example so much tonight, but we can even look back at Samson or David or any of these other men and women in this text and see that there were sins that tripped them up. Again, it doesn't negate the fact that you are running the race. It doesn't negate your faith. But what the author is calling us to do is to lay aside those things as well. Anything that could trip us up in terms of our faith in Christ and any sin that could trip us up in terms of our faith in Christ, we're called to lay those things aside, to get rid of those things, to make sure that we're not running headlong into sin. That's really what we have to watch out for. The book of Romans, specifically in chapter number 4, and then again in chapter number 7, Paul speaks of sin having a stronghold through the law and waiting to come after you. He even references back to the story in Genesis where God says to Cain, is not sin waiting at the door? One of the phrases that I've heard in terms of that story is that oftentimes sin comes through the door of temptation that was purposely left open. And that's in a sense what the author is calling us to do is to make sure that we're not running into a place that we know sin is going to trip us up. If we know that sin is going to be there and we're going to have the opportunity to sin, it would be ignorant of us to run headlong into that. If there was a dog chained up and foaming at the mouth on a tree in the back, it would be ignorant, foolish of us to run out to where the dog can reach us. It wouldn't be the smartest thing to do. In the same way, if we're running this race, it would be ignorant of us to run somewhere where sin can get a hold of us. To run in a way and in a place to where sin can reach out and grab. What the author does now is he calls us to one last thing. And he says, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. So he says, I want you to look at the cloud of witnesses. Look at all these examples that you've been given. Lay aside the weights, the things that would pull you back. Lay aside the sins. Don't go running headlong into those. And I want you to run with patience the race that is set before us. The word that is used there for patience, it means to endure, to persevere, to continue. He said, I want you to run with endurance. I want you to run with perseverance. I want you to run with patience the race that is set before us. And then he gives us a confidence by not only telling us some applications in this running of a race, 
but he gives us an example. And he tells us what he wants us to do. And in this portion, we can see what helped all of these saints in the Old Testament to continue. They were looking at the promise. They were looking at what God had said would happen. The author tells the church here, these Jewish people in this audience, and by extension us, how we can run with patience the race that is set before us. He says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And again, he includes himself in that statement. He says, if you want to know how you can not be pulled back by weight, if you want to know how you cannot run headlong into sin, and if you want to know how you can run with endurance, run with patience the race that is set before you, Look to Jesus. And he gives us a reason. He said Jesus is the author. And he doesn't just stop, but the finisher of our faith. He's giving them a confidence that they can run the race because the race has already been run for them. They can continue on through the things that they're going to encounter because there is someone who has continued through those things for them. And that person is Jesus. It says he's the author and the finisher of our faith. He started it and he finished it. And he begins to give us examples of what Jesus did. And he's not merely calling us to these examples so we can emulate Christ, but he's calling us to look at the person and the work of Christ and saying that will give us the confidence to continue. He does this, first of all, by saying our faith. And then he gives us an example of what Christ did. He said, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. In a sense, the author here is doing similar to what James did this morning in the text that we read. In the text in James, he says that Jesus is the Lord of glory. So he puts Jesus up here, and we can all understand our position down here. What the author does here is he sets Jesus up here as the premier runner of the race, the one who started it and the one who finished it. And he said, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. He uses the word joy, indicating that we understand through his omniscience, Christ knew why he had come. For us, we don't necessarily know what we are going to endure in this life. But I can tell you one thing. We're not going to endure the wrath of God for the sins of the world. We're not going to have to endure the things that Christ endured for us. But the author says that he did it with joy. Verse number two. The joy that was set before him. He called the work of Christ a joy. And says that Christ endured the cross. 
He despised the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What the author is doing is calling us to look at the work of Christ, number one, by example, and number two, by application, saying that Jesus did this. He is your premier example. He started it, and he finished it. And by faith, you have linked yourself with him. You are in union with Christ. Where Christ goes, you go. Where Christ runs, you run. What Christ have, has accomplished, you have accomplished. That is what justification is. When Paul writes that we have peace with God, what he's saying is when God looks at us, he looks at us not merely just as if we had never sinned, but he looks at us just as if we lived a perfectly righteous life as his own son. That's what sets Protestantism apart from the Roman Catholic Church. That's why there was a Reformation. It was this idea of union with Christ. In all of its applications, these men, specifically in that time period, couldn't let go of. When they saw that they had been unified with Christ, it changed their world. They endured things that they wouldn't have had to endure otherwise. And in that same way, if we can ever grasp hold of the fact that we have been placed in union with Christ at our justification, and that no matter where we run or how we run, Christ is covering us. When God looks at us running this race, he looks at his son. He sees the race that Christ ran. The author and the finisher. Hopefully you're following what the author is saying here. He's saying Christ did the whole thing already. So if you want to have endurance to do it, realize that when God looks at you, he sees that it's being done. It's a lot easier to run a race, to continue to endure, when you know that you've won before you start. And the way that we know the author is conveying this is because he says that Jesus is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. He's saying, don't worry about whether or not he finished it, because he's now set down at the right hand of the throne of God. He's taking care of all of this for you. And that is what is going to give you the endurance to continue. The patience, the perseverance, whatever, whatever adjective you want to use, that's what's going to allow you to have that by seeing and understanding that you've been unified with Christ who is now sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. And don't miss this. The only way that you will be disqualified in this race is if Christ is disqualified. The only way that you will be cast out of this race is if Christ is cast out of the right hand of the throne of God. So if you want to endure, look to Jesus. And that's what the author says in verse number two. He continues in verse number three, and he makes a few more distinctions. He said, for consider him. Consider who? We're talking about Jesus that endured such contradiction 
of sinners against himself. One of the things that we can note from this specifically is something different than the author says in verse number one. He tells us to lay aside what? The sin that so easily besets us. So he's saying that we are being contradicted by sin, correct? Sin is what's driving against us. Sin is what we have to get through. What's different than what he says about Jesus. And this is a little piece of the impeccability of Christ, the sinlessness of Christ in verse number three. Christ did not endure such contradiction of sin because he could not sin. He was tempted in every way that we were, yet without sin. It's been made mention before. We have an inward temptation to sin because we have a sinful nature. Christ was tempted outwardly, but he was never tempted inwardly. What he did endure was the contradiction of sinners against himself. And specifically, that contradiction of sinners can be seen throughout the Gospels. Over and over and over and over and over, who was trying to stop the work of Christ? It was sinners. Typically, they were religious sinners, but it was sinners who came against him, who tried to kill him in more than one occasion, and eventually did accomplish killing him within the plan of God. Mm -hmm. Peter says that it was foreordained from the beginning of the world that that would happen. But he endured the contradiction of sinners against himself. And he says, the author says, I want you to realize that he's already ran the race for you. But not only has he ran the race for you, but he's endured worse than what you're enduring now. And in some senses, he's enduring the same things that you're enduring now. Remember who the audience is. There were people coming against them. There were people who were running them off from their homes, who were killing, who were taking their stuff. And the author says, lest you be weary and faint in your minds. Remember that Jesus went through this too. So he's saying, I want you to understand that the work of Christ is enough. The race has already been run for you. But just in case you don't remember what I said in chapter number seven, remember that Jesus went through the same things. He understands. Chapter number seven told us that we have a high priest who is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. I know, and I may have mentioned this when we went through that section, but it's the same idea of, and I can't remember the name. I wrote a blog about it a while back, so I'll go read it and remember the name of it. But if we were to take musical instruments. If we were to take a piano on this side of the room and a piano on this side of the room that had strings and you hit a key on one piano, the key on the other piano will vibrate. Sympathetic resonance. That's what it's called. Oh, you may have said it before I did, but that's what the author is giving us the idea of in chapter number seven, saying that he resonates. When we struggle, there's Christ resonating with that struggle. When we go through things, Christ is resonating with those things. When we have to endure things, Christ is resonating with those things. And the author is reminding them that 
you can have endurance. Now, by application, I want you to make sure you're setting aside the weights. I want you to make sure you're not running headway into sin. But you can have endurance in this race by looking to the one who accomplished the race on your behalf and remembering that he resonates with the troubles that you're going through. And that's the two ways that we are going to be able to endure the Christian life. We get the idea, at least I do, that endurance means we have to go through hard things. (laughs) And for some of us, running is harder than others. (laughs) But the author is not saying to us that we are going to have to run through brick walls the entire way there. We're going to come up against things. We are. But what the author is calling by application, so to speak, in this text, is for us to just keep going day by day by day by day, to just continue. He's not just saying, you, this is how you're going to get through those times you have to break through the brick walls. This is how you're going to get through the times whenever you get attacked by mugs on the side of the, of the raceway. But he's saying, this is how you're going to live an ordinary, continuous life. Day in and day out, Don't get caught up with things that could pull you away from faith. Don't run into sin and look to Jesus. If your day's easy, if your day's hard, it doesn't matter. If you have what the author calls our faith, if you are looking and you are part of this same great cloud of witnesses ultimately that was in the Old Testament, if you have the same faith and the same God that they did, then look to Jesus and just go day in, day out. Continue. Keep looking to Him. Keep realizing that He ran the race on your behalf. Keep running, understanding that when God looks at you, He sees the race accomplished. And when you do get to those times that are difficult, when you do get to those hard times, remember that Christ resonates with you. You're not enduring those things alone. While they may seem like you are enduring those things alone, you're not going through those things alone because you have someone who's already done it and understands. He is touched with the feelings of what you're going through. Just as the author is writing to this group of people who are going through hard times and are being called back to their old religion, he's writing to us to tell us, just keep going. And just keep looking to Christ. Let's pray.